In front of you in the, um, in the hymnal racks or near those, there should be um, one of these pads of paper. It's a sermon notes. I'm going to ask you to tear off one of these sheets, and we'll get to it later, but I'm going to have that ready for you to use. If there's not one right around you, there should be one behind you or somewhere in the area. Everyone ought to have one of those. Just tear off a sheet, set it down beside you. We'll get to it in a minute. Unless you have specifically said something to me, I don't know when it happened or where it happened. I don't know the person or persons or circumstance or circumstances that were part of it. I don't know if it was an individual, a group of individuals. I don't know if it's something that happened recently or something that happened a long time ago. But I suspect, based on my own experience, talking with a lot of people, reading a lot of information, that all of us wrestle with things like jealousy, envy, anger, disappointment. We have moments where we think, uh, I deserved what they got. Or they deserved what I got. We, we, we struggle because someone got a promotion that we wanted. Someone got the job that we wished we could have. Someone made a friend that we didn't make. We have all of these, these circumstances of life. And, and, and sometimes it's, it's about people hurting us. People saying thing to us, things to us. People doing things to us. That are unfair, unreasonable. Maybe untrue. And we wrestle with all of these negative emotions. We all face it. It's part of the human condition. And left unattended... Those emotions move from jealousy and envy, from anger and frustration and disappointment to bitterness. And bitterness is a disease that eats away at us, eats away at our relationships, eats away at our very being, which is something that's been going on, something that's been going on a long time, and I think is at the heart of this story that we've read this morning about these two famous brothers, Cain and Abel. Now, a lot of people, when they read the stories of Cain, story of Cain and Abel, the, the question that people are asking is, why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and reject Cain's? And I can tell you, Doing a little bit of reading, there are a zillion ideas about that, answering that question. Probably the most, most common ideas are that, that uh, Abel presented a sacrifice of an animal. He shed blood. 
And Cain presented something he grew from the ground. Other people will say that the difference is that Abel presented the best of his flock and Cain presented some of what he grew. But the reality is we do not know why God accepted one and rejected the other. The the writer of Genesis simply doesn't tell us and that says to me it's not important. There are other places in the scripture that talk about appropriate and inappropriate sacrifices. This is not one of those places. The writer is really silent about why this happens. What he does tell us is that when it happens, Cain reacts in a way that I don't think he would have dreamed he ever would have reacted. Cain becomes jealous and angry. The writer says that that God says to him, why are you angry? Why are you depressed? Why Why is your face downcast? Why are you so upset? Somehow, in the mix of this, Cain knew that what he brought wasn't exactly what God wanted. And God says to him, you you know what the right thing is to do. It's not that difficult. Just do it. But something is eating away in Cain's spirit. I used to think that that there was a... um, that, that God has this conversation with Cain and however that takes place. And... Immediately, or maybe the next day, he says, hey, brother, let's go out to the field. The more I think about it, I I suspect that maybe some time went by. Some time went by for Cain to process this and to ponder it. And for those feelings of jealousy and anger to take root and to seethe and to grow. Until the day comes when he commits seemingly premeditated murder. Now I suspect that very few, if any of us, are going to ever be tempted to commit murder. But maybe character assassination. Maybe we spread gossip. Maybe we share rumors. Maybe we strike out at each other with our words and our actions to get back at people who have hurt us. And what's fascinating is that if you let that bitterness go long enough, it brings you to a place you could have never dreamed possible. And we have to be so careful. And so God says to Cain, and He's saying to us, be careful. And God's words to Cain are, sin is crouching, sin is lurking, sin is lying in wait at your door. It's right there. What are you going to do about it? As we hold on to bitterness, as we nurse it and feed it and and cuddle it and grasp it and, and cling to it, we keep opening the door. At first it's just a little bit, doesn't seem like a big deal, but the more we hang on to it, the more we open the door. And we keep opening the door more and more and more until it's wide open and the bitterness is controlling us. 
All of our life comes, becomes about, about bitterness, about getting back at people, about holding on to what people have done to us. And we don't realize that it's destroying us. You look at what it does to Cain. I mean, talk about a hardened heart. This is why I think maybe some time goes by as well. God comes to him and says, where's your brother? And his response is just pure callous. I don't know, my keeper? What do I have to do with him? This stone hard heart. He's just committed murder. And he seems to feel nothing. Because the bitterness has taken over the essence of his being. And it isn't just about Cain. It's about all the other people who are injured by what he does. He leaves his family. And now his parents are left to grieve not only a son that's died, but a son that's gone. And his own family, you see as the story goes along, you see generations later, the whole thing perpetuated again. And our bitterness is never just about us. If it were just about destroying us, well, it would be unhealthy and it would be a tragedy. But it's never just about us. It always hurts the people who are closest to us too. You can't help it. Because it erodes our relationships. It erodes our ability to trust. We, we start living in the spirit of paranoia and fear and anxiety. And all we're thinking about is, who's the next person to get me? And we start lashing out at people. And that bitterness just seeps out of us. And we hurt the people who are closest to us. You can't help it. A couple of years ago, uh, we were we got intrigued by an advertisement, a series of advertisements that we saw about a new television show. It was, it was so intriguing that we decided we need to watch this and see what this is about. Some of you may have seen it. The title of the show is simply called Revenge. And I, we thought, revenge? What, what in the world is that going to be about? What are you going to do with that? What a... You know, it's one of those titles you think, wow, that's really weird. So we started watching the show. And it's really a storyline is there's a woman who has moved back to the neighborhood where she was raised, very high class part of Long Island, and uh, comes back. No one knows who she is. And the sole purpose for her returning is to avenge her father's death. And she has a list of all the people, the rich and powerful people, who had anything to do with his death years and years ago. And one by one, she is systematically eliminating them. And it is amazing the things that she is willing to do to herself and to other people to accomplish her goal. And what has ended up happening as the story evolves and the plot line is getting really, really thin... And uh, it, it's, they need to stop it. But, uh, but as it gets down to this point, what's happening is the few people who know who she really is and have been behind the scenes helping her, she has now turned them against her. Because they can see how it is destroying her and how it is moving her away from what initially might have, you might have thought was just justice and now it's just vengeance. Vengeance. 
And innocent people are being caught and destroyed. And these people who are on her side, she is now destroying too. And she's using them. That's all she can, she can just, only way she views them as people she can use to get to the end that she wants. Because she doesn't care for them. She just cares about vengeance. And ultimately, maybe in other ways, but ultimately, that's what bitterness does to us. I think one of the most intriguing things about this story is that despite everything that happens and despite what Cain chooses to do, God is still merciful to him. As we're in the season of Epiphany where, where we find, where we are re- getting a glimpse and God is revealing himself to us. And in this story, we get a revelation about who God is that sometimes people miss in the Old Testament. I mean, yes, God exacts punishment upon Cain for what he's done. But when Cain cries out to God for mercy, God gives it. He is merciful to Cain. But he doesn't eliminate the earthly consequences. I can never read this story without thinking of July 4th, 1969. I was almost 10 years old. We lived in the Cincinnati area. My dad was a pastor of the local church there. And we got a call that morning. It was a big, it was a big church picnic that day. And we were getting things ready to go. And my dad got a call from one of the leading laymen in the church who said, can you come down to the jail? Our son Vic has been arrested for murder. My dad went down there and met with Vic. He'd grown up in the church Knew everything about God. He'd gone to Sunday school, been a part of the church all of his life, gone to Christian college. But had at some point in his life allowed rebellion and bitterness and anger to to get a, a hold of him. And it caused him to make decisions that he would never have dreamed of making. And as he, the story poured out of him to my dad, and he had already admitted everything, it was true. He and some friends had been out drinking. They went to rob a gas station. And he ended up killing the attendant of the gas station in the middle of that. And one thing he said was, I'm I'm glad it's over. I'm glad it's out because the guilt was just killing me. I couldn't do it anymore. And over the course of the next few months and into the next few years, he turned his life around. He became a great disciple of Jesus. and, and And you could see Jesus in his life. And it was awesome what God did in him. But he still spent 25 or 30 years in prison. And God's warning to Cain, to us, is not to make life less enjoyable. It's it's not to deprive us of, of something that we want. It's to rescue us from pain and heartache that's difficult for us to see when we're in the middle of these negative, bitter emotions. God is saying to Cain, he's saying, look, it's right behind the door. Be careful. I don't want you to have to experience all of that. You know the right thing to do right now. Let's just do it and take and be done with it. 
I don't want you to have to face all of that heartache and pain for you and for your family and for for other people. I don't want you to have to go through that. And God is saying that to us as well. He doesn't want bitterness to eat us alive. He doesn't want us to to be bound by that. Because we will be. If you let bitterness into your heart, if you let it get a a toehold in your heart, it isn't freedom, it's bondage. We think it feels good, you know, in the moment. Getting back at people has that, just that fleeting moment of satisfaction. We tell them off or, or, you know, we do something to get back at them. And for that, just that brief moment, it feels good. And then it doesn't feel good anymore. But something about hanging on to our bitterness, hanging on to to what people have done to us, there is some, I don't know, it's a sense of security that we feel. And we don't want to let go of it. If we let go, people might not know the truth. If we let go, people people might think that we've done what they've said. If we if we let go, we might not we might not be able to to see justice done and and maybe it won't be done. Maybe it'll never be what we want it to be. But hanging on to it isn't going to change that. It's just going to cause more heartache, more pain, more agony. And so God says to Cain, sin is crouching, lurking at your door, and the way around it is to master it. To to subdue it. The question going through my mind is, how do you do that? What does it mean to master it? I mean, we all know in our humanness, we we can't overcome sin by ourselves. That's the work that God has to do. I'm convinced the work for us, the mastering part of this that is our role, is our want to. It's our attitude. Do we want God to take this away from us? Do we want to let go of it? Do we want... God, to change our hearts, even when it means the end result of it might not be what we want in our desire to see people get what they deserve. It's really the want to. And if we're going to cling to it, if we're going to hang on to it, if we're going to nurture that bitterness, then... The door will be wide open and it will take us places we could have never dreamed. But if we're willing to let go of it, to surrender, as Peter says, and this roaring lion is waiting to devour us, what's the solution? To be alert, to surrender, to give it to God. That want to. Makes all the difference. I want you to take that piece of paper that you tore off of the sheet. I'm convinced that what we want to have happen 
always should be connected to action. Something we do. And I, I have no idea where you are. For some of you, this may not be an issue. You may, you may be thinking, I, I, have no, I, I have no sense of that in my heart today. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. But for those of us who do, maybe it's going to someone and asking their forgiveness. Maybe it's forgiving someone whether they come to us or not. And that's part of letting go. Sometimes we say, well, I'll forgive if they ask me to. And God is saying, I want you to want to forgive them whether they ask you or not. We can't control that. We can't control other people. Maybe, maybe the place you are right now is, is not saying, I'm going to go ask this I'm going to forgive this person. Maybe it's, Lord, help me to want to forgive this person. Maybe it's, Lord, help me to want to want to forgive this person. Wherever we are, that's where God meets us. He doesn't expect us to come to a certain place and then he'll help us. Wherever we are, Whatever place we need to be, it's just simply saying, this is what I want. And it will be a journey. It will be a process. It will take time. But we have started it. And that's all he's asking. That's all we can do. So in the next few moments of silence, as you open your mind to God, As you speak to God, God speaks to you. I want to encourage you, if if he's asking you about something, if you know, you can tell, there's something I need to do to let go, I want you to write it down in that piece of paper. I'm not going to show it to anyone else. Write it on that piece of paper, and this week, act on it. Whatever that may be. Gracious Father, we want to thank you for your mercy to us. For your love that reaches to us and warns us and helps us. Help us to see that your desires for us are life and freedom, joy, peace. Meet us where we are. Give us the want to, the desire to surrender 
to you and to your spirit at work in us. We pray this through Christ. Amen.